Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Um, if you were here last week, you got one of these. If you weren't, you probably didn't. Uh, you may have got one on the way in, but we would like you to have one of these. It's just a brochure about what we're doing next. Uh, next season of ministry, we're really excited about it, really fired up. The ushers are coming down. If you didn't get one, it doesn't cost you anything. It may. God will convince you of that. But anyway, uh, uh, and it's just a brochure about what we're doing. Just take one and, and you can look at it. Uh, we're finishing the CLC, which if you don't know what that is, it's a building across the patio where we do all of our small groups, our rooted, our Bible studies, all all that stuff, and we want to finish it out. We started it in 2019, and there was a hiccup in 2020, as I recall, and uh, and now we're ready to go into the next phase. We want to finish it up. There'll be room for a thousand people to meet in groups, and we uh, we believe that's where important things happen. So. Um, if you'd like to know more about it, just take a brochure, just look at it, just be informed. It also gives you um, not only some pictures of the, the, what the interior is going to look like, there's also um, our future campus layout, which has been approved now by the city, thanks to a, uh, an architect who attends here and did this for us, and, uh, and it all is uh, hinging on the closure of the track someday. So um, you can look at all that, and, uh, and, and so here's what it looks like. We believe that, uh, that this is something that God calls us to do. And as leaders, we kind of lead the way and, and both in, in vision and in giving, frankly. And, uh, and so as we follow God and we give, we invite you to join us and, and to, say, to kind of vote yes, I believe in this. So all we're asking you to do is to kind of look at this, familiarize yourself with it. We have a, a, a meeting next week after this service over in the CLC, about 45 minutes probably, and we're going to just share a little more of the vision, uh, answer questions, just let you, you know, talk to us about it. And, uh, and so we ask you to just take this and pray about it. And the prayer is, God, is this my church? Is this where I'm supposed to be? And if you feel like that's true, then God, what am I supposed to do? Because God doesn't want you to just come sit. Okay, because as you just heard, giving back, being a part, serving, whatever it is you need to do to be a part of it is how you're going to grow. And some of you may be wounded and hurting. You might need to sit a little bit, but all right, you got six months and then get to work. Okay, because we believe that it's in, in serving together and giving together that we grow together. And so um, we're going to ask you what we're doing is we're doing a three-year campaign and you can either give a gift up front or you can do what I'm going to do, which is over three years, every month, I'm going to give a, 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 an amount that's going to add up to a total that I've, Connie and I have been praying about. We almost always come up with the same number we pray about. This time she was wrong. <laughs> or I was wrong. We're negotiating. But it's not that far apart. We, we both kind of prayed and kind of got the general ballpark. So we'll talk about it a little more. What we're going to give. And it usually is a pretty significant gift. It's usually significant for us. And it will probably be significant and sacrificial for you. But pray about it. And if you feel like God doesn't want you to give, don't give. Just do what God tells you to do. That's all we're asking. And uh, what we do is we, we uh, take... Uh, not only do we take the cash, 100% goes to the project, uh, we'll take the, the income uh, that comes in cash up front, start the project if we have enough, and look at pledges. That helps us know uh, how, what we can spend. We're not going to do any debt or anything like that. And, uh, and you're saying, well, how much is going to come in? You don't know that. We do know that. We've done several of these. And unlike any church I've ever seen, we don't get 80% of what's pledged. We get 120% of what's pledged. It's amazing. We always get more than what is pledged. So that's pretty amazing. 
And so uh, we trust you. We know you. And nobody's ever going to call you and go, why aren't you painting? That doesn't happen. It's between you and God. And, uh, and it just gives us an idea of how we can plant. And so if you'd be interested and willing to do that, one of the biggest numbers that for me is not the number of 5 million, which is what we're trying to raise. Um, it's how many people say yes. How many people believe in what God's calling us to do? And, and by pledging, you're saying yes. And, and we can count on you to be a part of the team. And so we appreciate that. One other thing I didn't mention, we're not only finishing the CLC, but given what has happened during COVID, COVID and after COVID, um, a whole lot of parents of young children became aware of some things uh, uh, that was happening in some of the schools and, and, uh, and just began to look down the road to what that was going to mean. And we started getting phone calls on a weekly, almost daily basis. Um, what are you guys going to do to help us? We've got to raise these kids. We want them to love Jesus. We want them to think clearly about the world. Some of the things they're hearing are just insane. And what are you going to do? And we began to think about that. We didn't want to do anything. <laughs> I mean, we wanted to help you, tell you to do a good job. Good for you. And, um, but we realized that we have a responsibility to help you and your family. And not all families will take advantage of it. We understand that. But for those who feel strongly, we will be starting a school in the fall of next year, K through sixth grade. And so uh, that's kind of a big deal around here. <clears throat> We'll give you more in depth at the meeting next week, but just to give you a little context, uh, we're hearing the numbers of children that are exiting public schools since COVID are astronomical, and the projections are they're going to keep increasing. Uh, the Christian schools in this area are pretty much full, very close to full, if not completely full. And we're not competing with anybody. We just see a need that is arising, both from the phone calls we're getting, conversations we're having, and the projections we're looking at for the future. And we want to be a part of the solution. We've talked to public school teachers. We have a lot in our congregation. We have principals. We have school board members. We have three people running for school board right now in different districts, I believe, in the area. It's not that we don't love, don't care. It's that we just feel like we need to provide an alternative at this point. And we want to raise up some kids that really know Jesus. And, and we think for some families, that's going to be the best way to go. And so we're going to do that. And that'll start again uh, in the fall of next year. There'll be informational meetings about that starting in January as we kind of lay out the plan and show you what's going to happen. So I want to let you know about all that. And uh, now I need you to do something else. Okay. We have a fun day. It's going to be good. I need you to learn the name of the person to your left. Go. Wow. All right, cool. Good. You're gonna, there's going to be a test, so remember that. Uh, there'll be a test in a few minutes. All right, great. So I, I said a while ago that, uh, and you heard from the video as well, we believe that inspiration and information can happen in a face-forward kind of situation, but we believe transformation more often happens around a table, in a circle, in a group, where you learn from each other, you grow with each other, you encourage each other. And that's why the Rooted program, the building is so important, and why we've entitled this series, uh, The Tables. Uh, and so we just want to talk about what happens around a table. I, I read this quote, see what you think. And, and as I talk, think about this quote a little bit. It says this, if one eats in holiness, the table becomes an altar. If one eats in holiness, the table becomes an altar. It, there is this concept in scripture that there is this link, this imagery anyway, between physical food and spiritual nutrition. 
There is this reminder that when we eat, we're to remember that we don't just live by what we eat physically, but what we take in spiritually. And so Jesus talks about this. As a matter of fact, uh, the parables, more than half of Jesus' parables were told about food, feasting, or farming, all which are about food. Uh, because he understood that we need food. It's necessary. And, but more than eat, needing to eat physical food, we need to take in spiritual nutrition. Um, not only are the, the parables kind of centered around this, in the ancient world, the idea of food, and even today in, in developing countries, food, or specifically bread even, is a much bigger deal. Um, it's a much bigger deal. So, for example, if you travel in, in developing countries, I've seen this all over the world, um, you will see, for example, in Guatemala, uh, I remember seeing a mom and her little kids walking on, and mom had a big bundle of sticks on her head, and the kids each had a little bundle of sticks on their head, and that's what they're going to cook dinner on that night, because they spent the day getting the food. If you think specifically about bread, we think about bread as like, you know, it's, it, we don't eat it because it's carbs. So it's bad. But it has sustained humanity for a very long time. And the bread that was eaten is not like, in the ancient world, they weren't thinking about a little, little white squishy thing that was bleached of all nutrition, right? In a little bag with polka dots on it. Anybody? No? I was wondering if you'd get that. Sorry. Apologize. Anyway, um, so it was, it, when someone thought of bread, now if, if someone in the ancient world would look at this bread, they would not just see bread. They would know how, I mean, they would be looking and go, now what kind of grain is that? Because somebody had to grow the grain. Somebody had to, to reap and harvest the grain. Uh, somebody had to uh, mill the grain to turn it into flour. Somebody had to put yeast and water in it and whatever else they decided would go good in there and then let it rise and then they had to bake it. And so when we read this passage in John 6, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It is read in the context of somebody, usually oftentimes the women, it fell to the women oftentimes, to be concerned, consumed with, if you will, 24-7, making sure there's enough bread or food for the family. So it wouldn't be something they just throw away. They would look at it. They would understand what goes into it, how much work there was, because bread doesn't just happen. It does for us, because we go to the store and But for the ancients, bread didn't just happen. It was made. It was invested in. The, the correlation between bread and spiritual nutrition is to, to be understood that way, that spiritual nutrition doesn't just happen. You're not going to get, in the world we live in, then or now, you're not just going to get really nutritious spiritual food. It doesn't just happen. You've got to choose what you're going to eat and where you're going to eat it, how you're going to eat it. You need to think about it. Jesus went on in verse 51 First, he said he's the bread of life. And then he said, I am the living bread, which not only talks about what we need, but that we have an ongoing need for spiritual nutrition coming from Jesus. Uh, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, uh, a, a precursor to communion, which I will give for the life of the world. So let me just give you uh, some thoughts. The uh, first one is about spiritual nutrition, about the bread of life. Um, this idea of prepping and, and spending a day and being consumed with, with making sure a family has food to eat um, is an important kind of understanding. If, if you lived in a society much more basic than what you live in now, and every day your main concern was making sure that you were fed and the little mouths in your home were fed, and that's the highest priority you have for the day, and, you, and someone says, just as high as that priority, there's an even higher priority that you need to address daily, which is spiritual nutrition. 
you might think differently about it. For us, bread isn't, it's fine, it's good, some of us love it, but it's great. But if it is your source of life, you will better understand when Jesus says it's the bread of life. I've eaten at tables all over the world, it's interesting. Um, I remember one table I was at, uh, we, had, uh, we were in a, in a developing nation, and, and it was way out in the boonies, way far away from anything, no electricity or anything. And on the way out, we picked up the pastor of the church, and he was going to introduce us to his, his village and his people. And so we got in the car, and, and on our travels, we crossed a river, and, and it was mostly arid in that area for the most part. And, uh, and so he stopped and bought a fish. It looked like a carp about that big. And, and he threw it on my luggage, and I uh, convinced him that it would be better under his chair than on my luggage, because uh, I was going to have to carry that luggage for the next two weeks. So, um, so for the next six hours, uh, we rode, and it wasn't really bad, as long as you're moving, because the windows were open, there's no air conditioning, and it wasn't bad. But when we stopped, the fish had um, matured. And, uh, and I watched them, and evidently the area where we were eating wasn't really used to fish because they didn't know what to do with it. They kind of, I could tell them whispering each other, talking, and, and, and they were embarrassed to ask. And, and so they didn't scale it. They didn't gut it. They didn't clean it. They just chopped it up in, in, in like pieces about like that, about like that, and then threw it in a frying pan. Like a, kind of, and, uh, and I remember by the time the meal was done, and I'm always aware when I'm eating in a, in a developing nation, A, what's being served, and B, that this is a huge sacrifice for these people. I'm probably eating the best, best meal they'll have all year. And so I always kind of try to not eat very much, and, but you got to eat everything because you don't offend anybody. And so it's always a fun, but it's always great because they, they're Christians. We pray together. I don't know what they're saying, but I know they're thanking God. And it's just a great moment there. But I knew there was another moment coming because there was about 12 of us around this big table, and the fish started right there. Now, there are other vegetables and so on that I recognize. I was ready, but I was watching the fish because there was no way I'm eating that fish. There is no way. I don't want to be ungrateful, but I don't want to be sick either. I'm not eating the fish. And so I'm thinking about all the way around thinking, how am I going to, what am I going to do? I'm trying to think of some water. How am I going to get out? Because they're going to be offended because that's a fish. They don't get fish very often. This is a treat. And so it comes around and we're eating by candlelight because there's no electric, electric, uh, electricity. And so, so it comes around and just when the person next to me is about to hand it to me, Somebody runs in the door. One of the kids starts yelling, oh, and they're telling something. I don't know what they're talking about. They were excited about something. Oh, they looked at him, and I just went, <laughs> And in the candlelight, nobody noticed that I hadn't taken the fish. Smooth. <laughs> and that night, I slept on that very table. <laughs> That's where I had to sleep, was on that table. It smelled like fish. But anyway, it's a good night's sleep. Actually, the room I was in, I didn't have any, you know, glass or anything. It just had bars. And I asked them, why are the bars? And so they said, well, it keeps the animals out. And I'm thinking, I just saw a spider go through as big as my hand. It's not keeping the animals. Oh, no, it keeps the, the bad animals out. I'm thinking the spider wasn't bad. Enough. So I don't even know what was in the jungle that night, but I didn't uh, get eaten by it, and I didn't eat the fish, so it was a good day. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we think about our, our lives and the outcomes of our lives, and uh, we don't realize that we spend a lot more time and energy on what we will eat physically than what we eat spiritually, than what we take in spiritually. And I guess the, the kind of the talk today is be more aware of the, whether you're getting spiritual nutrition or not. Because if you're going to get spiritual nutrition, it's not just going to happen. You're going to have to choose to get it. You're going to have to want it. And so there is this thing where Jesus uses again and again food, bread, even calling himself the bread of life. There's this thing again and again where he's trying to remind us that every time you take a bite, by the way, praying before your meal. I don't know that that's particularly scriptural. Being thankful for a food is scriptural. But I think praying before your meal is about remembering that as I'm eating, I also need to be feeding 
on God's word, on spiritual nutrition. Here's what it says in Psalm 34 and this kind of parallel. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So today we're going to take communion together. And, uh, and, and I want to I just kind of help you understand something about communion maybe that you haven't thought about before. There's lots of things to think about during communion, but I want to give you three today as we, as we come, because that table, I was, I was in India one time, I was up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere, and there was a general strike called for the, the Monday, and I was, I was there on a Saturday, I think it was, and, and there was a fog set in because we're in the clouds, and, and everybody heats with coal, so there's coal smoke everywhere, and it's just kind of a haze, and we saw, well, it, it smelled like a pizza place. We're thinking, okay, somebody started a pizza place. So we went in, and sure enough, there was a pizza place, sort of. And, uh, and so we went in, and in the, the, the fog outside and the, and the coal haze inside, I'm sitting there, and I look behind my friend that I'm traveling, and I look, and I see it's a picture of the, of the Last Supper. But I, I get up in the smoke, and I go up close to see it, and it was all monks. All the disciples were in orange. It was monks. Even the Buddhists uh, know about the Lord's Supper. It's probably the most famous table everywhere, anywhere. Jesus chose the last night he was with them, before he was going to be betrayed, before he was going to be put to death. He wanted them to have a meal together, and he taught some wonderful things about caring for each other. He also warned them about what was to come, and they didn't get it, but, but he told them what they would need later to go forward. And then he said that we, those who were to come much later, were to remember that table and what happened at that table. And I just want to give you some practical ways today to remember that before we take communion together. One is to remember the cross. What he was talking to them about was the cross. He was going to go to the cross, and they weren't going to get it. They weren't going to understand. But we need to remember the cross. Remember what he did for us. As a matter of fact, if we remember the cross, we remember the cross happened so that you and I could be reconciled to God. Because the justice had to be served. And the only one able to pay the penalty that needed to be paid for us to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven, was paid by Jesus. None of us could be perfect enough for that. So I want you to remember the cross. What is the appropriate response to the cross? Gratitude, absolutely. Humility, for sure. Repentance might be the one. You see, repentance is if Jesus came down and he died on a cross, he didn't just live a perfect life so we would know what a perfect life looked like. He died on a cross so that we could, in God's divine justice system, be forgiven. Then dare we say that we belong to him, but harbor things in our life that are not honoring to him. Attitudes, words we've said, habits we've allowed to become a part of our life. Things that are not honored and they were forgiven by the cross, but we're carrying them around. I want to say that maybe the first thing we need to do in taking communion is remember the cross and repent of anything in our life that's not honoring. If Jesus were sitting right next to you, what would he say to you? What's that thing, that thing you need to deal with? It may be something you need to get rid of in your life. It may be something you need to do that you're not doing. What is that thing that if he could talk to you in an audible voice right now, right next to you, what do you, you know the thing. What would he say? might be an addiction. It might be just a bad attitude. It might be being a victim when he's offered to give you, a, a, to make you victorious. If you just let go of the hurt and let him heal you. Maybe there's someone you're supposed to call and reconcile with or encourage. What is that thing? Repentance means to say, I'm sorry I've done that or I haven't done that. And I choose to go the other way. I am going to turn around and go the other way. Repentance is about Sorrow for, we've all sinned. We've all blown it. Sorrow for having blown it. And with God's help, living differently going forward. So the cross and repent. The second thing I want to suggest to you is that we not only remember the cross, but we remember his life. 
Because he said he was, he was the bread, the bread of life. And his body was like bread. It says that when he took it, he broke it and gave it to them. He was symbolizing what he was going to allow it to happen to him. His body was going to be broken so that you and I could have a different kind of life. Just like bread sustains us in connection with God through what Christ did on the cross, through his broken body, we are sustained in our spiritual life. Just as we would die without physical bread, we die spiritually without, physical, without spiritual nutrition. So I want you to remember the cross. I want you to remember his life that gives us life and be grateful. And then I want you to remember the people around you. The people around you. How weird is that? Listen to this. Um, it's in 1 Corinthians 10. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf. It's kind of strange imagery there. But what he's saying is that as he is the bread of life, and those of us who belong to him are for each other nutritious. Do you ever leave church and just go, man, I went, I'm, I'm glad I went today. Sometimes I know you left and, and you wish you hadn't. And that's when Cody speaks mostly. But when, <laughs> have you ever gone and just, man, I needed that? I needed that? Did you ever realize that your nutrition may not just come from God's word? And it does come from God's word. And prayer, it might come from other believers. So I'm going to ask the, the singers to come out and we're going to do something today. And here comes the exam. I hope you remember the person's name to your left. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to share communion. We're not doing the flip-top kind this week. We're doing, we're doing uh, the old kind. And what you're going to do is they're going to start in that row, and they're going to start in this row, and they're going to hand it to you. And what you're going to do is you're going to say this phrase. I'm going to tell you in a minute where it comes from. And uh, they'll pop it up here in a second. Are they going to pop it up here in a second? They're not popping it up. And what you're going to say is you're going to say the name of the person to your left, because you're going to pass his left. You're going to say, Joe, Sue, Mary, whatever. this is the body of Christ broken for you. You're just going to hand it to them. As you say that, you're going to take the elements. You're going to take the, the, the bread and the cup and just hold them. We'll take them together in a moment. But let me tell you why we're doing this today. There's a, a, a book by Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand, back in the early part of the last century, was a physician missionary in India. Part of the problem in India was not only that they had leprosy, and I've eaten in leper colonies before, and it, the, the, even when they're cured, there's still the loss of limbs and fingers and so on. And so one of the things they realized is they could cure them of leprosy, but they couldn't go back to work because they were still missing fingers and hands not functioning. So they began to develop surgeries that would, would put their hands back together enough they could be used to function to some degree. And he said, but then I realized that we might have healed their leprosy, stopped its progression. We might have actually reconstructed their hands to some degree, but there was something else that needed healed. And he began to talk about India in that day. And it was a caste system, a terrible system in which those at the top had everything. Those at the bottom weren't even allowed to be touched, the untouchables, uh, or to be talked to. And so a person of low caste, even without leprosy, would not look at a person of high caste, for example, a doctor, uh, look at them and interact with them or call them by their first name ever. And he began to realize that these leprosy of victims were being physically healed and, and reconstructed, but they would still look at the ground, even kiss his feet because he was considered a doctor, higher caste. It's now been outlawed in India, but I've seen it in rural areas very similar to this. And he said he knew one day with one, with one leprosy victim, they were making progress. He was an untouchable who had, had leprosy, 
who had been cured of the leprosy, hands somewhat reconstructed, but there remained that stigma. He had never looked the doctor in the eye. He had never called him by his name. He'd always looked down. They were having communion one day. There's about nine of them. And they were doing this very exercise. And they would say the person's name, look them in the eye, say it, and then hand them the communion. And the man next to him, he was well aware, was uh, recovering from surgery for his hands. And even more, he was an untouchable. And he said the most amazing, joyful moment was when he turned to him and this man said, Paul. He said his name. He looked in the eye. He said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. He said it was the most moving thing. Because what had happened is this man's not just being healed from leprosy, not just reconstructing his hands, but God was reconstructing his heart. He was beginning to see himself as a human being who was loved by God, who Jesus came and died for, that he wasn't less than everybody else. He was loved in a way that he never imagined he could be loved. Today, when you hand that communion to that person, I want you to look them in the eye, and I want you to say their first name, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. It's okay. Just tell them, no, I'm, I'm going to sit this one out. And they'll reach around and go to the person next to you. But if, if you're a Christian and you'd be willing, maybe, maybe there's somebody here who needs to hear you say that, who needs you to look them in the eye and remind them that they are worthy of God's love because they're a creation of God. They're a child of God. Maybe today communion would be more than just something we do. It would be a point of healing for someone, a point of restoration for someone, a point of change in their life because Christ died for you, not just us, for you and for me. And today we're going to share that together. Would you do that? They're going to sing a song. It's a great song. I picked it. (laughs) You're going to like it though. It's about this. Think about the cross. Be grateful for the life he's given you. And remember, we're sharing this together for a reason.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you'll hold the bread, I'd like to pray over it. Lord God, we hold this bread as that symbol that links you in our spiritual need with bread in our physical need. Lord, just like we need to eat, we need you in our lives every day. And the only way we could do that is for you to come and to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. And so today we remember the cross. Remember that you paid the price, not just the physical death, but the separation from your father that was required so that we could be reconciled. And so today we repent of all that we've done wrong. Any distance between us and you is our fault, and we understand that, and we say, forgive us and help us be different. And we will thank you for that. Let us take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. But whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we are so thankful that you not only died so that we could be forgiven, but that we could have life, life here, a different kind of life here and now, a forgiven life, a free life, a restored kind of life, and a life forever in your presence. We thank you for that. We are grateful for that, and we are grateful for each other. We remember what you did. We recognize what it means to us. And we rejoice together in what you've done and who you are and who you're helping us become. Let us take the cup together. Thank you. Thanks for participating in that, letting us do it a little differently. Let me just say this one word, and then we need to finish up. If you receive something today, you always hear people, I heard from God, I received something. If there was a moment for you in which something dawned on you, something you need to deal with, something you need to receive from God, you need to accept his forgiveness. If there was something, receive it. Make a conscious note, write it down, and live according to that, that victory. So I just have a couple more things I need to do. I have a little thing at the end you're not going to want to miss. So let's just get on with it and get it done. I know I only have a couple of minutes. This is good stuff. I'm going to take more than that. So here we go but hopefully not too much more than that. Um, so I, I want to talk about, just real quick, about um, spiritually healthy food um, and, uh, and nutritious food. And here's what it says in Luke 4, 3-4. devil said, to, and this is Jesus during, during his temptation in the desert. He'd been fasting for 40 days. devil says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. In other words, we need more than just physical sustenance. We need spiritual sustenance, maybe even more. And I think a part of the problem, the misunderstanding, I'm going to hit this really quick. Uh, this is just, this is the first chapter of Doyle, okay? But I think I can support it in scripture. But here's some observations I've made about what uh, what I think is a spiritually malnutrition nation and many churches. And I've experienced it in my own life. And it's because of three things real quick. One is we allow spiritual parasites in. I've uh, traveled a lot and I've seen some pretty gross things I won't share with you. I have many friends who were raised in developing nations by parents who are missionaries. They can tell you all kinds of things about parasites, worms. It's gross, funny, but gross, really gross. 
And a parasite is something that moves in. It can live there a really long time. Um, uh, tapeworms can live inside a person for 30 years. And the whole time it's robbing you of nutrition and strength. You're actually empty and sick and you don't even know it. I think we've allowed mindsets in that, uh, that are parasites on our spiritual life. And someone's going, why am I struggling so much? You probably got a, a, a theological spiritual tapeworm somewhere. I know it's gross. I want it to be gross because uh, I want you to understand how, how much bad theology, bad understanding about faith can affect your outcomes. We are called to be victorious, not anemic, not worn down. We're called to be victorious. So we ought to look at ourselves and, and think about the philosophies, the theologies, the thoughts we've taken in, where they come from, and what impact they have on us. The second one is, is just spiritual junk food. We just, we just take in stuff. I want to suggest you, and I think Cody did this a few months or years ago, where he read a bunch of phrases and we were to decide if there were bumper stickers or scripture, like the Lord helps those who help themselves. The bumper sticker or scripture? I'm not going to tell you, look it up, but you should know that. Because here's what happens. We take in nice thoughts and little trite phrases and we think they're from God. If it is to be, it's up to me. What chapter would you find that in? But we buy things because they sound good and they're comforting. Well, things have a way of working out. Do they? Because I've got cemeteries full of people who say it's not true. Okay? We need to have real theology. We need to be eating the real meat of God's word, understanding God's word. Otherwise, you're not going to be strong. Your spiritual muscles can't grow. And, and just to that end, I think most people in America are spiritually starved. I've seen enough starving children around the world to recognize it. It's the bloated belly. It's the hair that's wrong color because they're, they're, they have no nutrition. They get spindly little arms and legs, and they're in trouble. And we walk around bloated from too much entertainment and too, and too little substance, discolored by our aspirations, which are for some kind of short-term comfort or acclaim. And we have spindly little values and convictions, and we wonder why we're not making any difference in the world. I know this is harsh. I'm going to hurry. I'm just telling you what it is, okay? And we need to learn to take in real spiritual nutrition. Not only need to take it in on the weekend, and by the way, anything I say, check against God's word. Don't take it because I'm saying, look at God's word. See if I'm telling you the truth. We not only need to take in meals on the weekend, we need to eat daily. Back in the day, people used to say, well, I'm not getting fed at this church. And I just want to go, you big baby. The only people who get fed are little wimps, little infants. They can't feed themselves. Do you want to say that to me? I don't think you do. That's why nobody says that around here anymore. You live in a world where you can re read God's word freely anywhere you want. You can go to a Bible study every day of the week. Feed yourself. It's your responsibility. If you are spiritually malnourished, don't blame it on me. I'm plenty fat, physically and spiritually. It's not my fault, right? Step up and read God's word. I don't know, this service took a turn. I'm not sure why, but I'm kind of liking it. Let me give you one that might surprise you. There's a story in Jesus is with his disciples and his disciples, they're in Samaria and he sends them into town to get food. And in the meantime, he shares the gospel with this one. And he comes back and they see that he's not hungry. He doesn't look hungry. And they say, what's going on? And he says, I have food to eat that you know, know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Is it possible that being obedient 
to God's will in your life is a form of spiritual nourishment. We think spiritual nourishment is just reading God's word, and it is, and just praying, and it is. But what if just being obedient feeds your soul? I'm going to give you a challenge. It may be that thing that came to you during the repentance time, during communion, that next step of faith you need to be taking, that area of disobedience where you're, you're harboring an attitude or an action or an interaction that you know wasn't pleasing to God and you need to change it. You need to fix it. You need to deal with it. Could I challenge you to just go do that? I want to suggest to you that when you go and you be obedient, either uh, you're doing something you shouldn't or you haven't done something you should, when you step in that step of obedience in the smallest ways even, it fills your soul. It feeds your soul. Because when you're obedient, you feel differently. You are in line with who God created you to be. And the more days in a row we choose obedience, and the more events we choose obedience, the fuller we get of God's love and his goodness and peace and grace. I'm going to just challenge you. You want to feed your soul? Be obedient. And then uh, just two more things. Um, Hunger and thirst for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled All of the things that really matter in life ultimately are of a spiritual nature. It's as if we're all empty and people try to fill the emptiness with all kinds of things, fame, fortune, whatever it might be. What if all along what you're really empty, what you're really hungry for is a better relationship with God, is to know Jesus better? What if that's what it is? What if being aware of that in every scenario, not settling for the easy answer, well, I got this problem because them or them or they. What if I go, I've got a problem. I need to talk to him. I need to let him fill the empty place in my life. I think it's just interesting to me in that passage, blessed are those who hunger thirst right, for they will be filled. You're trying to fill the hunger with other stuff, it won't work. It's only in a relationship with Jesus. And then finally, when you find good spiritual nutrition, share it with someone. In my prayer time today, I was thinking about that. I just want to share it with you. Um, Let me finish with this last one. 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I knew Matt was out here. You probably noticed him. A couple things you don't know about Matt. You know he's a great teacher. He's a great youth pastor. He is an unbelievable cook. Now, he is Italian, so it's a requirement, but he's an unbelievable cook. Anybody smell anything? What do you smell? And what is that? There's a little boy right there. Do you smell that? Do you smell it? Yeah? You being shy? What does it make, what does it make you feel? Hungry right? I did that on purpose. It's not for you. It's for the band. Deal with it. Let me tell you why I had Matt come out and do that. And he, and he graciously agreed. That passage is read to you said, as we take in spiritual nourishment, you know, I've never been bitten by a vampire. You know why? Because I eat garlic, right? You know what happens with garlic? It oozes out your pores. That's almost a perfect illustration of the gospel. Vampires aside, it is Halloween, right? When we take in spiritual nourishment, it oozes out from us in the form of peace, love, patience. And when it oozes out, it puts off an aroma. That passage is read says, we're to walk around in the world making people hungry because we smell so much like goodness. We smell so much like Jesus. 
We smell so much like someone who is taking in good spiritual nourishment. We're not walking around judging. We're not rocking around yelling at people. We're walking around smelling good, making people hungry. But here's the bottom line. Hunger, by the way, most of your taste is, is aroma, by the way. Your taste buds only pick up about five things. It's like uh, salt, sour, sweet, bitter, and I can't remember the other one. Most of what you taste is through your nose. It's aroma. But let me tell you something. Smelling something, food, is not the same as eating food. Your hunger can't be satisfied by smelling something. Because if it could, we'd all wear bacon cologne. (laughs) It can only be satisfied when you take it in. And while we walk around the world and we create this aroma and we help people realize that what they're really hungry for is a spiritual nature, at some point we need to introduce them to Jesus because it's not until they take him in that they are filled and they are satisfied. And that is our job. You see, we think our job is to survive or have ease and comfort. Our job is to take in as much Jesus as we can, make as many people hungry as we can, and introduce them to the source of the life they're looking for. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're so convinced that we need more tables around here so we can have more conversations. That thing you're smelling, we have this happening right now. We have people say, I don't know all that you guys believe, but I know what's happening out there is crazy. I want to know more about what you guys got going on. Hunger. They're smelling it. What are you cooking? What are they smelling? How much of Jesus do you have in you? How much are you connecting? How much are you feeding on his word? We've lived way too defensive, way too weak, way too malnutrition for too long. God is offering us feasts. You just got to come to the table. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you today. I thank you for food, Lord. I love food. But more than that, I thank you for you, for loving us, for making yourself available to us so that our very deepest needs can be met so that the spiritual needs can be addressed because of what you've done on the cross. When you knit us together in our mother's womb, you made us with this place in us, this place that can only be filled by you, only be filled by the spiritual nourishment that comes from you, from your word, from prayer, from your people. Lord God, teach us to pay as much attention to what we're taking in spiritually as what we're taking in physically. And Lord, let us bring a great aroma to you and to the world around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Let's stand together. Um, if you want to go to information meeting next week, we'll be having those after the service. If you're really hungry, stick around. My, Matt might share. I'm not saying he will. I don't know. You know how he is. Thanks for being here. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.